This is a Culture Inject production. Hello everyone, I'm Tyg, and this is the Nevers Podcast. A podcast dedicated to the discussion and dissection of every episode of upcoming HBO series, The Nevers, from writer-director, nerd god, Joss Whedon. You can download and stream The Nevers podcast on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube, pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts, we're there. And as you may have noticed, our Nevers mission has slipped somewhat of late, so this episode, we're deep diving and talking only about The Nevers. How, how is everyone? Is everyone doing well today? Are you surviving the plague? The plague is a perfect way uh, to describe it. I, I feel like as the, the weeks go on, I get more and more used to it. And then some days I'm like, I am so great and happy. And then other days, like the existential dread fills me up. <laughs> and I feel like pro- maybe everyone's like that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like you're constantly overreacting or underreacting as I, you know. <laughs> And it's and and now I'm starting to forget what it was like to be normal. Yeah. Like I see a lot of cars on the road, and I'm like, oh, here are more cars. What's up? <laughs> right. Because <laughs> we're so I'm in, I'm in Colorado, so we're slowly starting to reopen. So we don't have a lot of the issues some of the other states have because everybody's been pretty respectful of the lockdown. So we'll see, though. <laughs> I know, right? As soon as everything opens, <laughs> you know. I have a feeling those first few weeks, once everything is kind of back to normal and everyone has to acclimatize to sort of working regularly again and being within six feet of each other, it's going to be a very strange kind of September, November time. It's going to be quite odd. Tig, how's the UK handling it? Because we have a faction in the United States that's just completely freaking out. Uh, yeah, so do we. And it's called the British populace. We are not <laughs> handling it well. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Certain certain parts are doing quite well, but our government are morons, and they they keep issuing these kind of really half-hearted, like, okay, you can sort of go out, but try to be apart from each other, but only go out if you have to, but if you if you want to, you can go out as well, but make sure you keep vigilant. (laughs) Just just be straight with us, man. Be like, don't go out unless you absolutely. If your house is on fire, you can leave. If not, stay inside. (laughs) If you're a doctor or like a you know, bus driver, go outside. If you work in, you know, business, work from home. If you can work from home, work from home. If you can't, don't. Yeah, <sighs> I feel you because I'm, I'm in LA. So it's every day, every day I see people walk outside without masks on. And it is just, I, I try not to get mad because I'm like, okay, do you know the day's just started? <laughs> Breathe in, <laughs> breathe out. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and you guys have all the beaches, so I'm sure yeah. that's tough. Oh, because like, okay, I-, I get it. Like, who doesn't want to go to the beach? But like, I haven't been to the beach in probably over a year. Yeah, and, and I've only I only go once a year. So like, come on, people! Like, people are dying. Like, I-, I I know it sucks that we can't go outside, but you know, don't think about yourself. You know? Yeah, I think if <laughs> we could just kind of get everyone to stay inside for like a month. We'd be okay, but it's actually right. managing to get everyone to like really only leave if they absolutely have to. And it's just, it's not going to happen. But, uh, 
Well, some people have likened having to wear a mask to having their rights, their constitutional rights in the U.S. <laughs> trampled on. It's yeah. unbelievable. It's like, God, you guys wouldn't have made it in the Depression. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, there's some people, I'm not going to call out any political factions, but some people <laughs> think the Democrats are doing it and it's fake. And I'm just like, come on. Yeah. Yep. But it's not all doom and gloom. Well, it is, but it's not. It's 90% doom and gloom, but the 10% of it is we have lots of free time, so you can now kind of focus in on projects and shows. Like, how are you, how are you staying sane, Heather, during this time? Are you, have you been watching stuff, doing stuff? <laughs> yeah, so um, we have, of course, uh, I do two other podcasts, so those, of course, have been taking up some of the time. And then I have this whole other hobby where I collect little horse figurines, so cool. that's part of it. And I actually have to go into my job because I'm an essential worker. So I still work full time. Wow. Um, and then I've been watching, really, Kelly would be proud of me. <laughs> I've been watching Doom and Gloom and horror movies because hey. that's just my mood lately. So I watched Melancholia the other night. That's a Lars von Trier movie about the two planets colliding. It's crazy. And then I watched Midsummer again. Plus, I'm still... Working through Buffy and Wait. Dollhouse and all my normal, you know, stuff. So. Yeah. Do I sleep? I don't know. <laughs> I, I should probably own stock in Woodbridge Cellars, too. <laughs> what, about, what about you, Gina? What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I work from home. My sister, though, just got a job as an essential, essential worker. So I drive her to work and I pick her up. But... I'm, I'm also a screenwriter, so I've been, I've been luckily, some people are saying they can't, they can't write because their head is not in the right place. I feel like my head hasn't been in the right place the past three years, and I feel like now finally I'm in the right place, which is weird. So I've been writing so much. Which, That's amazing. Yeah, thank you. It's, it's been nice. Yeah. I, again, I feel guilty saying that. It sounds so horrible, like the world is ending, but yeah. I, I don't want to feel guilty feeling happy. Right. It's weird. Um, I've seen a lot of my friends who are artists. Some, you know, it's just personality based. Some people shut down. Some people thrive in this environment. So, you know, you're not alone. There's there's no kind of, there's no right or wrong way to handle a situation like this. If you want, if you need to shut down, please shut down and look after yourself. If you're, if you're using the free time to, you know, laser focus on gaining new skills or writing, making music, pots, not pot, pots. (laughs) <laughs> then yeah, do you that's that's all good what about you take uh, i've been watching i've been watching 90s trash t- tv shows and it's amazing i'm currently <laughs> i've nearly finished uh season four of the tribe which is amazing and last night i finished season two of the odyssey which is oh Lord. yeah it's just it's so bad that it's good i didn't i, I didn't realize I, I was gonna ask if it that was i started that like homer's the odyssey oh. i started that and i was like nope no god no not homer's odyssey no not that at all this is a, a cheesy 90s tv show about a kid who gets knocked oh, okay. into a coma and wakes up in this weird alternate reality and one thing i didn't realize watching it when i was a kid that i now do realize the primary antagonist is played by ryan reynolds <laughs> it's like a 13 year old ryan reynolds and it's insane. But yeah, it's a very bizarre, very cool show. But another thing we've been doing with our time was about two weeks back, me and Gina had the chance to interview Dennis O'Hare, which was one of the coolest things I've ever done. He is just 
the nicest freaking guy I've ever spoken to. Super chill. Really great. Some hilarious answers. And before I was at a 10 of hype for this show, I wouldn't be hosting this podcast if I wasn't super hype for this show. But after talking to him and hearing about the sets and the, the, the his ethos, I am just, I'm at a 15. I couldn't be any more hype for this show. I yeah, I'm super jealous. Go ahead, Gina. <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> um, I, I completely agree. I still don't believe that happened. Uh, Tyke, I don't know what you're talking about. You must have dreamed it. Because <laughs> uh, I had that dream. Um, I, I, I told Kelly in another podcast, um, I was smiling the entire time. I was trying to breathe and smile and speak at the same time. <laughs> Go ahead, Heather. Oh, I was just going to say I was super jealous because he's, um, I love him. I, I know, um, I know him from so many things, but like from True Blood is Russell and, and, um, the many parts he's played recently on, um, American Horror Story. Like, but he's also on This Is Us. His resume is 10 miles long and he's just, he's such a chameleon. I love him. So I'm so glad you guys got him. I can't wait. I heard a snip, the snip we're going to play, but I haven't heard the whole interview. So yeah, there is, there is a little, a, a 10 minute clip will be coming up later on in the show. But if you want to hear the full, I believe it's it clocks in at about 50 minutes to an hour. That will be coming out very soon. All right. So. That is what we've been up to. That's kind of our catch up. And now we're going to talk about some news. There's kind of some, a little. So San Diego Comic-Con 2020 canceled. And any hopes of a trailer for the Nevers are gone. Or are they? We'll talk about that in a second. What are the chances that HBO will release something online? We're assuming that they were even going to have a presence at this year's Comic-Con, which they usually always do. But for, for the sake of argument, let's say that they would have. Yeah, what do you guys think? Um, and actually, I'm going to jump a little bit too. So San Diego, San Diego Comic-Con announced that they're taking the event online. So there could be the chance that maybe some networks or studios that wanted to premiere content at Comic-Con could potentially do that online during that Comic-Con weekend. What do you guys think? Um, I feel like, didn't Dennis say, and it just the clip I heard, that they have at least four or five episodes down? Um, if they do, there's the possibility for maybe a teaser, possibly a trailer, uh, you know, just for, from a Nevers point of view. Uh, maybe not though. I, you know, I don't know how much they have. Joss lays so much groundwork in the beginning. I mean, but I, I would think they could put, chop together something compelling, don't you? Yeah, I mean. Totally. Even if they've only got like one or two complete episodes, because it's not entirely possible that Dennis just filmed all his bits for the first four episodes, but they don't have all right, of the four right. episodes. It's very possible they could just chop something together from like the first, just from the first episode, just to give us like the theme tune, a couple of the characters, a couple of the set pieces. That'd be more than enough. And obviously, as you guys know, a pilots usually have enough information to do a trailer. So I feel like they would have enough. Um, I was, I was obviously sad when Comic Con got canceled. I knew it was going to happen, and I'm, I'm so happy it did because there's no way I would go, no. even if it wasn't canceled. Yeah. Um, yeah, Dragon Con just got canked too. Oh man. Yeah, but luckily I definitely have tickets for next year because that's one of the things Comic Con did was any if you have tickets you either have the option of getting a refund or securing tickets forwarding for next year. Yeah, so I was like, of course oh, I'm nice. forwarding it. Like it's way too hard to get tickets as it is. But yeah, I I hope they show something. I don't see why they wouldn't. 
I feel right. like, I mean, what other shows would HBO, let's pretend Comic-Con was happening this year. <laughs> what other HBO shows would they even showcase? Uh, they could possibly, I don't even know if they're shooting the spinoff to Game of Thrones yet, but that's coming. Mm. Um, Which and I, I'm really sad about. Yeah, so sorry, ahead. Heather. I'm really sad about because there was, there was one that was supposed to be done by Jane Goldman that had yes. Toby yes. Rugbo and all that. And that got canceled. Yep. And I'm still really bitter about that. And I, yeah, I, that was, that was no, the one with Naomi Watts. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm so mad and, and I'm not going to name anybody, but I, I, I know some people that work at HBO and they're like, you know, we just didn't want to go on to the next episode. It just wasn't compelling enough. And in my head, I'm like, okay, sure. Like <laughs> if this was a man directing it or show running it. Right. That's kind of the rumbling I heard too, is that that show was very heavily, uh, employed women and the and the Targaryen saga that they're they're actually going forward with is not so mm, of course go get, going back to um SDCC did I thought and this I could be full of it that Joss didn't have to shoot a pilot for this that they just took him on his word yep. yes. and just went ahead with it yes he went You're straight right. to uh, straight to series straight to series yeah yeah sorry I meant more like since they have a first episode, regardless, I feel like the first episode would be setting up a few things. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. So I feel like that would be in the trailer. Hopefully, guys. Wait. Okay, wait. Westworld. Yeah. Any other HBO shows that they would... Westworld is just finished its season, so I doubt they're going to yeah. have anything yeah, to West, show. So Westworld just finished. Westworld just finished. Yeah, they're picked up for their next season, but they wouldn't even be... They're probably not even writing at this point. Yeah, they're right, probably right, still right. on staycation <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i i feel like if hbo does want to release something i in my opinion i'm biased but i feel like the numbers would be something they would showcase well clear i mean clearly that's going to be their sunday night flagship yeah. to, you know to replace game of thrones i mean or you know either spring or fall is usually when they go with the blockbuster shows so Judging by what Dennis was saying and what you'll hear later, they are really throwing their full weight behind this show. Yeah. I can't see them building it up as much as they have and then kind of softballing the release. They are going to be pushing this show as hard as they possibly can. Later seasons, not even early seasons of Game of Thrones where they weren't quite sure if it was going to work. I'm talking late seasons. They know they're onto a good oh, thing. Yeah. That level of push. Well, and they pulled so many people, mm. you know, from Game of Thrones to do the sets, to do the costuming, to do, you know, stuff like that. So, I mean, they're, they're super experienced people. HBO's, you know, you know, aware of these folks and their work. So yeah, I mean, I think they're throwing everything at it. We have a leaked document from the British Film Commission. They've drafted safety protocols revealing how the UK shoots will be kept coronavirus proof. The UK government have also said that TV and film shoots can resume once producers put those safety plans into place. I've looked at the um, the documents and you know looked over everything, the, the rules and the procedures. I'm just going to go ahead and say this. I really, really want to watch The Nevers. I can't wait for the first episodes to air. However, I would much rather wait than lose half the cast and crew to preventable diseases. Like, these rules are, in my opinion, are not strict enough. If I was HBO, if I was Joss, looking at the money they've put behind this show, they can wait a couple more months before they start filming again. 
they do not need to push this show to get it filmed because like they they will lose more time on the back end if they lose half their cast and crew to illness than if they just wait a month or so now before for everything to be clear before they start filming again. I really don't think it's a good idea for them to start filming before like well, maybe August September. Yeah, and I think they also have the star power enough people that that are employed by this show to go, "Hey, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're not ready yet." <laughs> But I, regardless, I don't think Joss would push it if his cast wasn't comfortable. Indeed. Yeah, and I feel like obviously this is a big production. Um, sure, there could be scenes with like one or two people, but with all the different cast members or wow, crew members as well. Like, oh yeah, you know, yeah. there's no way. Like on a set that size, you have you may have two actors and you have twenty twenty five people standing mm. around, right? Makeup people, boom, gaffers, all that kind of dolly, blah blah blah. Right. I'm sure there's stuff they can do, like kind of the after effects, music, the the solo parts of TV show production that they can do from home that they can be working on now to get the first you know, four or five episodes that they apparently have shot. They could just shoot it all in masks and gloves. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was the Victorian era. That was pretty gross. Mask up. I mean, they could make those masks look good. <laughs> but I take that's a great uh <laughs> thing to bring up because i i hope and i feel like they're editing what they do have and if anything that's gonna hopefully help them when they come back because they'll be able to look and see and and understand the feel and the pacing of at least a few episodes hopefully or however much they filmed so that would just be a really good jumping board into when they start filming again maybe if they're editing so the next little bit of news, which gets me a little too excited if it's has any <laughs> chance of being true, is just writing slash directing the new Fantastic Four movie for Marvel. So popular YouTuber John Campia, Campia, sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, says that talks between Marvel and Joss have occurred. So that was the first kind of little hint that this might be a possible thing. And then we got this cover.com reported similar news. According to their intel, Joss has spoken to Kevin Feige about the Fantastic Four reboot, Nova, and the all-female Avengers spinoff, A-Force. The reason why that might be kind of maybe potentially true is that I believe they broke the news on um, casting for Ahsoka Tano uh -huh. and something yes. else, right? So that's exciting. But also, during a live stream with Heather Horton, who's Joss Whedon's partner, Joss referenced a singular script that he's working on. And then, this might be my favorite bit of little evidence, he replied to a certain tweet by Zoe Kazan, who I have met and interviewed. I love her. She's an amazing actress, but also an incredible screenwriter. And her mother is Robin Swicord, who wrote Matilda and The Curious Case ah. of Benjamin Button. And I could talk about them forever. I love them. <laughs> and I've also met her. Anyway, Zoe says, out of pure curiosity, writers, how many document files, Word or Final Draft or whatever, do you currently have open on your computer? And Joss Whedon replied back, 19. A lot are Word documents that are about at least partially the one script I'm working on. But for reals, that's extra. And I got to focus. <laughs> <laughs> so before I... Uh, scream and die of excitement what are your guys's thoughts on all of that uh, i'm screaming and dying of excitement i don't think there's any other suitable reaction <laughs> uh if i was like i'll just i'll just say this now 
big Marvel fan, never really liked the Fantastic Four. I don't know why, I just don't click with those characters. But I absolutely love the character of Doctor Doom. And I can't think of a writer-director better who could just nail Doom's character than Joss Whedon. That kind of anti-hero, like, are they hero, are they villain, are we meant to like them, but we do anyway, that's his wheelhouse. And that's just where you need to be to write a proper Doctor Doom. I can't see anyone, I can't think of anyone that could do that better than Joss. And then we add in Nova as well, who's another one of my favourite characters that doesn't get enough love. Like, imagine Firefly, but they can shoot energy blasts. Nova, get it done. It'd be amazing. I feel like, um, I don't know anything about the Fantastic Four. The only thing I know about the Fantastic Four is what I've seen in the two movies that I've been assured by my comic book crazed partner are terrible, except for, except for Chris Evans is Johnny Torch. <laughs> Who, who I thought he was hilarious, by the way. I also have, but I do have a little bit of softness for them because there's, there's a satire of them on an animated show called Venture Brothers. And, and it's such a, it's, you can tell it's just like a loving send, send up of that group of four people. Mm. So I'm interested to see what he would do with that fantastic four dynamic. I have no idea what Nova is. Um, all female Avengers, I hate to be the feminist uh, bummer, but I'd like to see a woman direct that. I mean, I think he got so much flack for Supergirl and Wonder Woman and all that kind of stuff. And it's not just him. It's just, you know, at least a female writer. Come on, guys. Yeah, it's one of those. Uh, it's one of those sucky things, but amazing things. So I'll, I'll say both. Obviously, Joss would kill an all female Avengers, but that's not the point, you know? Um, it should definitely be led by women as much as I would love just to do it. It should definitely be led by women. Um, I also don't know too much about Fantastic Four. I have also watched those two films. I was obsessed with those two films when I was younger, even though they're bad. Yeah, I know they're bad, but I love them because I guess I also love Dr. Doom a lot, but I'm going to go on a small little soapbox really quick. So about just rejoining Marvel. So, um, I think about two years ago, there was a panel at USC and it was Kevin Feige and Joss talking about the Avengers. So they showed the first Avengers and then there's a panel with them. Of course, my sister and I were in the front row hyperventilating the entire time. Uh, <laughs> and the way Joss and Kevin talked, obviously it was just all fondness and happiness and respect. Cause so many people think after age of Ultron, like Joss hates Marvel and he would never go back to them. But the way they were talking, it was honestly like two really, really close friends that have nothing but love and respect for each other. So I always thought even, I mean, I always thought after age of Ultron, but especially after that panel, I'm like, there's no way Joss isn't going to do more Marvel. There's no way. Like, like Kevin knows how much Joss like, completely changed the Marvel films going forward. Like it would not be what it is. Obviously Kevin obviously did a lot as well, but Joss did so much. So I was then uh, he arced out the whole first phase, right, you right. know. And and helped with the second one. And yeah. So I was kind of doing some research about that time and I remembered there's this article from Vanity Fair that they changed so Kevin Feige reported to Isaac Ike Perlmutter, 
who was, um, yeah, a CEO of Marvel Entertainment. But he has since he has since left Marvel Entertainment. So Kevin now reports to different people. So I feel like, especially because of that, maybe Joss would also be more into returning to Marvel because they have different execs that Kevin is reporting to. So that means Joss could do more of what he wants to do. And in the panel that I went to, <laughs> Joss was talking about how much he loved Thor Ragnarok. And he told Kevin, he's like, you let Taika be full Taika. And, and he was just laughing because he loves Thor Ragnarok. But that's an interesting thing to say, because I feel like with Joss knowing that, I feel like he would go back to Marvel. Those are my thoughts. I have to, I totally agree. I think the 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 uh, removal or the the leaving departure of Palmata was a huge plus for <laughs> in everyone's regard, except probably Palmata's. I'm pretty sure now Feige doesn't really report to anyone. He has a lot because his success rate is through the roof. He has a lot of leeway in Marvel now. So I think the combination of Feige and Whedon. Letting him go full Whedon would just produce absolute gold. Uh, and I, I do think uh, Nova would be the best pick for for Joss, because... I have to look into that. I'll ask Josh it's about it. He's like a space cop. He'll know what it is. Space yeah, cop. Um, you know in Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one, when they land on Xandar, the planet, and there's all the, the cop guys, yeah. it's basically them. That's the Nova Corps, I believe. Oh, it's meant cool. to be. But in... The comics, they can, like, they fly and have, they can zap lasers and make shields and stuff. They're they're, they're kind of like Marvel's version of Green Lantern, but there's more of them. This episode of the Nevers Podcast is sponsored by Dead Good Tees. Aficionados of the sci-fi and horror genre and creators of premium heavyweight t-shirts and hoodies that are built to last. Dead Good Tees ships worldwide. So whether you're braving the Arctic winds of Yukon or strolling the beaches of Thailand, Dead Good Tees has you covered. Thank you to Dead Good Tees for supporting quality podcasting. Start shopping today at deadgoodtees.co.uk and don't forget to follow them online at deadgoodtees. We are now moving on to the main discussion for the episode. Delving deep into the Nevers. During a live stream with Heather Horton, Joss's partner, Joss shared that he started writing the Nevers while listening to the Hours soundtrack by composer and legend Philip Glass. Now, this may seem like a fairly inconsequential detail, but you have to think, I don't know about the greater part, I don't know about Joss, but for me, when I'm writing, what I listen to absolutely influences what ends up on the page. If I'm writing a you know scary or angry scene, I throw on some thrash and rah, you know, it, it really kind of changes the end product. Knowing that he was listening to the hours, a very kind of Victorian soundtrack, that, that has to kind of give us an insight into his mindset. I know, Gina, you're a screenwriter. Would, would you agree that what you listen to really reflects what ends up on the page? And what would, what do you think we'd see if he's listening to the hours while he writes? Yeah, that's a really, um, it's a really fascinating thing because 
when I first started writing, I didn't listen to music because it was way too distracting. And then I was like, wait a minute, let me listen to like soundtracks that don't have lyrics that way. Because I'm a singer as well. So if I have lyrics, I start singing and I'm like, no, I'm supposed to be writing. So yeah, lately, um, I've been when I was writing a Vince Van Gogh script, I listened to dark classical music. And that obviously helps and that obviously sets the tone because in a way, and I'm sure you guys would think this as well, it's like it, it's the soundtrack to the scene that you're writing. But it also just gets you in the, the headspace and the mindset. Um, I haven't listened to the hour soundtrack in a long time, but from what I can remember about that film... I mean, that's exciting. I feel like maybe it's going to be a little, maybe the Nevers is going to be a little bit creepier than we think because he listened to the hours, which, hey, I'm all about. I'm all about creepy. Can we just shout out Heather Horton for a minute? You guys have seen her paintings, yes. right? His partner. Oh, God. I love her work. I want to buy something from hers, but I feel like I'm not wealthy. <laughs> maybe if uh, if the podcast takes off and we get picked up we get sponsored by hbo we can throw some of that sponsorship okay, money into buying a couple of heather horton pictures get a horton original oh see you have to put the dream out there you know? yeah i mean i think i think obviously um i've heard a ton of writers uh talk about how how they get in their headspace and music is a huge one of a you know re, you know uh way to do it and i and um i'm so curious to to know now with listening to that soundtrack in particular because um philip glass's stuff is very atmospheric yeah. and and very um mel- melancholy i guess is kind of the right word but also very because he he writes concertos and you know like film scores for him or a side project so yeah that's i mean i'm excited little geeky side note for me i think the first time i heard philip glass was um for in the Watchmen film, like the trailers, yeah, a lot of his music was featured, and I was like obsessed. I'm like, what is this music? And yeah, I love, I love the piece that they used for the Watchmen trailer from his. So now I really want to go back and listen to the Hours soundtrack. That might be what I do for the rest of the week. <laughs> and and to, okay, here's what helps. Eventually, I, I do have a pilot that I'm writing that takes place in Victorian London. So I'll just, I'll just. I'll put that on, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Get in the Joss mindset. Why exactly. The hell not? Write a spec script for season two. Oh my two. God, please. <laughs> I will do... Okay, actually, in TV competitions that like amateur writers write for, you have to write a TV spec. So you know the second The Nevers is a TV show and I could do that. Of course. Of course I'm doing that. Actually, it'd be fun, based on what we know, for me to just write a script... Now, see, now I'm getting ideas. That'd just be a fun writing <laughs> exercise and just to see how it lines up with what actually the oh, show yeah. is. Oh, Put it up on the side. Dang it. We're going to have to do this now. Okay. Anyway, let's go to the line. With the Nevers, um, let's retread on some things that we've talked about in the past, but let's look at it with a new fresh eye, especially with some things that, some new things that we know now. So actors and character descriptions. So the first casting announcement was on deadline. I'll never forget that day because I believe Tyg and I recorded an emergency episode that we had to like figure yeah, out and schedule, right? Really fast because we were so excited. Oh. Um, yeah. And it's... 
We had just finished a Nevers cast the day before, ah. and that dropped, and I was like, "That's <laughs> just fate messing with you." I've, got to say, I've, I've had I've had a lot of really proud moments so far on this podcast, but I still definitely top three, possibly number one, is getting that first casting podcast out. Getting like seeing the news of the casting being revealed, getting it recorded, edited, and uploaded in less than twenty four hours. Like <laughs> that's awesome. High fives to every to or everyone that was involved in that because right that we, we were really working our little socks off there. <laughs> and I still maintain it, it's just like it doesn't feel like a rushed pocket. It's, it's a it's a solid episode. So we you know, we didn't we didn't yeah. slap. No, I've listened to that one. It sounded great. It sounded great. You guys sounded completely prepared. We weren't. Amazing, like, yeah. For 24 hours, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Amazing. And I feel like that's how we're all going to feel like when the show finally airs. Like, the episode's going to drop, and then we're going to have to try to figure out a fast way to record a podcast and put it out there, you know? So it was a little... We thought maybe we'd do, like, a first look, like a short show, and then do a more Atlantic show later in the week. Yeah. But... Uh, but we don't yeah, know yet. That's what we're thinking of doing too. Because, because, mm. awesome. again, we're gonna have to get our thoughts out. You know. Yeah, I believe the idea was to have a, an initial kind of holy crap, what did we just watch? That was amazing. <laughs> kind of a short nerd out podcast released, hopefully, <laughs> like within sort of twenty four hours, and then a longer kind of in more more sort of in depth, what do we think this means? Podcast a few days later. It, I mean, it's the way I've seen it work for a lot of other shows, and it, it just it gives you that good mix of kind of initial ah, reaction and then also right. kind of measured analysis which you do kind of need and you guys know i'm gonna be re-watching the episodes like at least five times before we record the second episode so <laughs> at least <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta do be exactly <laughs> so um let's quickly talk about that first article that was released oh, just looking at it makes me so sentimental it was published in july 30th 2019 um so the the beginning of the article says hbo is running out cast for the nevers it's straight to series drama from the buffy the vampire slayer creator joss whedon joining lead laura donnelly which was actually really announced first um our olivia yeah. williams yay. yay james norton Tom Riley <laughs> and Skelly, Ben Chaplin, Pip Torrens, Zachary Momo, Amy Manson, Nick Frost, Ooh. Rochelle Neal, <laughs> Eleanor Tomlinson, and Ooh. Dennis O'Hare. Friend of the podcast, hey. Dennis O'Hare. Friend of the podcast. Oh, single tear. So were you guys familiar with the actors beforehand? Were there any actors that you were super excited about? I know we kind of cheered when I listed that out, but... <laughs> What were your guys' initial thoughts on this initial cast announcement? Uh, so obviously, obviously, we all know uh, Olivia Williams because we all watched Dollhouse, right? Uh, I did not know. I'm not. I was not familiar with Laura Donnelly, or uh, I kind of sideways knew James Norton. I didn't know Tom Riley and Skelly. Ben Chaplin, I'm really familiar with uh, because he was he was kind of big in the 90s. He did the truth about cats and dogs and uh, Washington Park. And they were trying to launch him kind of as a British sex symbol. So um, Pip Torrens, I don't know. Zach Moma, Momo, I don't know. Uh, Amy Manson, Nick Frost, I know really well. 
Rochelle Neal, no. Eleanor Tomlinson, I, I know from Dark, and Dennis O'Hare, of course. Oh, what, are you, what about you, Tang? I had very, it was very strange written. When I first, I, I looked at the cast, I saw Olivia Williams, Nick Frost, hell yes. No one cares, I don't care about anyone else. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> but then in pre- as I was madly prepping for that first casting cast, I was actually looking through all of their IMDb pages and kind of looking for things to latch onto. And it was only doing that that I realized just how many of these people I know and just how amazing they all are. I, think I, I was big fan, a huge fan of Torchwood, and although she wasn't in it a huge amount, Amy Manson was great in that. And then I briefly watched Poldark because the people I was living with at the time were in love with um, Aiden Toms, Aiden, whatever he's called. And so I was forced to watch it because of that. And then when I saw Dennis O'Hare, I was like, oh my God, they've cast Russell Edgington. And that's when I just, my my, my brain completely left my body and I had a, an out-of-body experience. Oh, I have a do- I have a go back on Pip Torrens. I knew him from The Crown. He played Tommy Lascelles on The Crown. Oh, I said I've seen that. Like the big advisor to the Queen. I keep thinking I should watch that, but I haven't got around to it. But no, yeah. Like so, my, my initial reaction to this first wave of casting was hell yes. I, I was at about a kind of six or seven of hype before that, and that just shot me up to an absolute ten. Like that was the point when I was like, yeah, I am a thousand percent in for this show. I don't need to know any other information. I know. We've got Joss Whedon, we've got frickin' um, Jane Espenson, Doug Petrie, and now this cast? Right. Forget about it. I'm in. I'm done. Just sign- show Doug me the Petrie. episode now. Yeah, 100%. And I feel like it's cool that there is a mix of, like, kind of veteran actors and also up and coming, and also some actors in between. So I wrote a note, and it's so funny, the note is dated July 30th, 2019, <laughs> the day this article came out, and it lists the actors with, like, some credits that I would be, like, excited for, and so many of their credits are period pieces, uh-huh. and, and, and I always joke with my sister, like, some people are so sci-fi oriented, like, they just have that face or, or that acting, um style and i feel like the same thing with period pieces obviously anyone could act anything so it's okay if you've never been in a period piece but with this cast specifically there's a lot of actors i think all of them that have done period pieces so that's kind of cool that means they all can live they have lived in that world and they can live in that world and again i remember olivia williams obviously freaking out james norton i knew dennis o'hare i knew and nick frost obviously so and it's cool because, mark my words, I feel like we're going to fall in love with a lot of this other cast just as much oh, as, yeah. you know, we know of some of the others. Already a little bit in love with Rochelle Neal. I tell you what, yeah. Um, a lot, I mean, we talk about all these people doing period pieces, but that's kind of how you make your bones in, in Britain, right? Pretty much, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> there's a ton of, ton of, uh, a ton of, like, Jane Austen, they make five Jane Austen movies. <laughs> yeah. You pretty much have two options. You can go period drama or Doctor Who. That's about it. You have to be in at least one of those or you're never going to get a job in England. There's so many, I swear, there are so many huge actors in America now that I was like, oh yeah, I saw that guy 20 years ago on Sense and Sensibility or, you know, <laughs> the fourth size saga or like Damien, uh, what's his name? Damien Thomas, who was a big star on uh, Homeland, was, he was a period drama guy. Yep. Like, it's it's hilarious it's because a lot of them come up through kind of rada and through the stage they've got that real kind of classic acting style which just lends itself so well to period drama i have to say like reading through it it wasn't just the cast that really impressed me with this first announcement like 
obviously, you know, I read them, look at the IMDb, really freaking out. But then I remember I was reading through the character descriptions and that was what really, like, that was when it really started to click that this show could actually be something incredibly special. Because, like, we've got maybe maybe a paragraph for each character, but already, like, I remember that we were already starting to theorise whole character arcs and whole plots for them just based off these small paragraphs. You can tell he's clearly put so much thought into this already. Yeah, let's um, let's quickly go through some of those character descriptions. So Olivia Williams will play Lavinia Bidlow, a wealthy spinster and cha- champion of the touched. Lavinia funds the orphanage where Amalia and many of the touched live through her vast family fortune. She is stern and old-fashioned, but as strong-willed and clever as anyone she confronts. <laughs> oh. That doesn't sound familiar at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. That sounds like... <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> 19, 19th century, 20th century uh, Adele. Mm. And, and Tyke and I have touched upon this on previous podcasts. Like, it's fine if writers kind of reuse familiar character traits or types of characters, you know? Um, I feel like if Joss was, even though all writers steal from every writer, but I feel like if Joss was stealing, quote unquote, from another writer, I'd be like, eh, but you could totally steal from yourself. And it's 100% fine. I seem to recall <laughs> when we had this conversation before, um, I think you know, I still have the same comment, which is we don't criticize musicians for always sticking to the same style. We don't criticize painters for painting in the same style. Why should we criticize screenwriters for kind of using similar character archetypes? if the story and the characterization is different each time. Right. And and he'll put his twist on it. It's a different time. It's not going to be modern. And Olivia Williams has a style too. The actors have styles. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's, exactly. it stands to reason that a collaboration between her in a, a position of authority with Joss writing for her, sure, there's going to be some familiarity, but I don't expect it to be a copy. And to be fair... Adele DeWitt is a fantastic character, and we did not get anywhere near enough of her. If we can use this to kind of backdoor some of the scenes we would have got in (laughs) seasons three, four, and five of Dollhouse, I'm totally okay with that. I'm not going to complain. Yeah, I... I love Olivia's. She brings this kind of smooth elegance to everything she does, and I'm I'm down for it. And it's going to be so cool to see a large audience finally know who she is, because she's so amazing. So I, I just see after the f- first episode airs, like there's going to be people on Twitter like, oh, my God, Olivia Williams, who is she? She's amazing. And I can't wait because they're going to be like, yeah, we've known. We've been here. <laughs> Welcome to us 10 years ago. <laughs> but I'm just, I'm just wondering, um, me and Gina obviously already treaded these boards numerous times. But Heather, looking at these character descriptions for the first load of of revealed characters who is your big stand which one of these characters are you most looking forward to getting to know when the nevers comes to air well i you know obviously amalia because um she's the lead um and i feel like we've gotten the least on her really Mm. i mean they they share her casting was first like gina said but as far as describing her or even giving her a paragraph with any like some of this has some really specific stuff i don't feel like amalia got like i feel like they're intentionally shrouding her in a little bit of mystery 100 percent chance that's Um, intentional i'm super super excited about um ben chaplin playing the detective because i feel like he's in a role to be very 
compromised and conflicted, which Joss writes so well, <laughs> you know. Um, so, you know, he's going to be trying to track down, I'm sure, what's going on with these, uh, the touched, mm-hmm. right? And trying to do his duty, but getting to know them and having compassion. I hope that's how he's going to be. So, yeah. So that's interesting. And um, I'm it's, I'm really intrigued by the 10 foot tall person. <laughs> like, how's that going to work? <laughs> <laughs> so, so there's this um, artist, her name's Shawnee Kilgore, that just uh, helped because she was doing like, like a Kickstarter or GoFundMe. I, sorry, I can't remember which one. So he, he loves her as an artist so much that he's like, I will literally co-write songs with you. So he wrote this song, the lyrics for this song called Big Giant Me. And and all, first of all, the lyrics are incredible. Second of all, Shawnee Kilgore's voice and her melody is like beyond beautiful. So I kind of want to read some of the lyrics because it just reminds me of that character that you just brought up. So the first, the first verse, and I won't say the whole song, just the beginning. What if I wake up tomorrow bigger than my bed? What if I try standing and I crack the ceiling with my head? What if I come over and you open your front door, find me looking through your bedroom bedroom window on the second floor? Would you laugh? Would you scream and say it was a dream? Could you could you be glad to see big giant me? And I think that's so sad and it paints such a picture. So I feel like that character is just going to be like angst. Right. It's interesting that you bring that up. (laughs) Didn't Dawn become giant in one of the a series in the comics? I was just about to bring that up. Yeah. I think about yeah, that too. Yep. Yeah. And then hooked up with Zonda, which exactly. is just wrong. Spoiler. That's, that's a whole other conversation type. Can we not talk about that? I don't need that visual. <laughs> I'm, well, that should be a, another podcast topic because I have feelings I wanna, about that. <laughs> I want to invite Gina and, and um, Kelly over to our podcast so we can all scream about Xander. <laughs> no, but look, but here's the thing. I love him. So oh, that's so, the so thing. So you could be our foil. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so who jumps out to yes. you guys? I'm so curious. My twin sister loves the kind of posh characters, and I feel like that's rubbed off a little bit on me. But also, I've always loved Draco Malfoy. Sorry, I'm that person. You are. When I was young. You're the person that likes the bad guy. Yes, yes. <laughs> I cannot stress this enough. So I feel like um, Norton, James Norton, who plays Hugo Swan, a pansexual posh boy whose charm has about five years left on its lease. And I could read the rest, but I... (laughs) That that was enough for you, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that was enough for me. And the fact that he's pansexual, like, we don't get enough representation on pansexual characters. Um, You could literally go on Wikipedia if you Google pansexual characters and you could see a list and you could scroll for like two seconds and see how many pansexual characters there exist in like tv and film so like the fact that the nevers has one when it takes place in you know the 1800s late 1800s that's like amazing so that's the one that jumped out at me <laughs> good call but yeah uh, it, it'll come as no surprise to anyone that the one that jumped out at me was Nick Frost's character, not just because played by Nick Frost, but also, um, I just, when this came out, I'd just seen the last season of Into the Badlands where he was playing a character oh, yeah, that yeah. was quite similar to the one he's going to be playing in this. So in the same way that, uh, 
Lavinia Bidlow is kind of a backdoor for more Adele DeWitt, it kind of feels like this character, uh, the Beggar King, is kind of a backdoor for more Baji. So I'm all going to see if he puts a bit of his kung fu to, into practice because he was, he was throwing hands pretty well sure. in that film that show when i first read these descriptions frost's character just immediately hit me over the head with badger because badger was such a victorian character sort of in the first place mm. but i don't think i think he will be much smarter and more elevated in his criminal activity than badger badger was kind of a, a, a fop if you will. I have a distinct suspicion that the Beggar King will be who Badger thinks he is like right. Beggar King actually has the power that Badger just pretends that he has to make himself feel better right um, so that was the first round of casting and then the second round of casting was six new cast members and we'll quickly just talk about this and which characters stood out for us but joining the cast was and I'm so sorry if I mispronounce names uh Kieran Sonia Soir, Elizabeth Barrington, oh, I love her, Ella Smith, Viola Pretigen, Anna Devlin, and Martin Ford. And these are recurring, or, okay, yeah, set of series regulars. And Martin Ford will be recurring. Any of these that stuck out? Martin Ford, man. <laughs> have, you, have you seen that guy? He's like a brick house on legs. He is the most imposing. It's I follow him on Instagram, and he's a dedicated family man, you know, and he and he's into cars and he's into you know obviously bodybuilding, but he is an imposing looking person, and I can't imagine how scary he's going to be in this. Like I am salivating to see him <laughs> be be who he is, right? And he was talking about how big he had to get for this role. And he's already enormous. And I was like, oh, my God. So he's, I don't know <laughs> if he's going, this is what I'm curious about. If he's an independent operator or if he's somebody's henchman. I'm mm. 90% sure he's going to be kind of a hired muscle. He's going to be a tough. Because they say um, he looks as unpleasant as he smells. A side effect of his rather surprising turn. I have a distinct suspicion. Practical effects. He's already a big guy. Oh, yeah. I think they're going to give him some kind of, like, scaly skin or, like, rocks or something. Well, and that's the other thing. I was like, yeah, he's huge, but what if he's also supernatural? 100%. You know? Yeah. I was just going to sl- – uh, the only other person that I, I'm really – well, I'm interested in all of them. Don't get me wrong. But I'm interested in Desiree Blodgett. And I don't I don't like the W word, so I'll call her a companion. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there you go. Companion. So – I her role to me stands out as something that's going to be super interesting because she's going to be able to pull secrets out of people and that sets up a plot point mm. because they've set up a plot point here that she's going to pull something much like you know River did in in uh Firefly that she she ain't supposed to know and people are upset about that. <laughs> she definitely has a huge amount of potential. The other one that had me quite interested was uh, Viola Predajon as Myrtle Haplish. Yeah, she can. No, she can't speak English or anything else resembling speech. We had a few theories about that character oh, when God. we first sort of covered this topic, but the best one that sort of we ended up settling on as our our pick for her potential power set was that actually it's not that she's not speaking English; she's just speaking a language which, like, from a country that no one there has been to. 
And then actually her power is that she can now just speak all languages because she's quite young. Her oh, brain wow. just can't process it. So she's just freaked out. She's speaking like um, Latin or... Um, Aramaic. Yes. And she's just... Her, her brain's just stuck on Aramaic or something. That's such a great idea. I love I know. that. I love that. And then eventually when she learns to control <laughs> that power, which I'm sure she will, um, like she'll be able to just jump back and forth between different languages whenever she wants and that becomes a universal translator like how cool is that endless potential someone that i'm very biased in casting wise is elizabeth barrington she was recently in good omens yes um so as soon as i heard that she was cast i'm like okay automatically she's gonna be (laughs) one of my favorites just because um and her character her name is lucy best Dirt poor, adaptive, streetwise. There's nothing delicate about Lucy, though she's given up thieving to live with the orphans. Her quick wit and high spirits mask the pain of a tragic past. Ooh, so good. Um, it, it really makes you. <laughs> it really makes you think. Like, does she have any powers? If she doesn't, why does she live with the orphans? Uh, what past does she have? I mean, so many things. And like, I always tell this to everyone. Of course, I want strong female characters, but even more than that, I want complex female characters. And to me, they're like one of the same, like they should be one of the same. Anyway, so I feel like Lucy Best, like cool, dirt poor, adaptive streetwise. Are you kidding? Like those kind of roles usually go to men. So I'm all about this. I just love the idea that this kid is going to have a mouth on her with that kind of Cockney Street British. And obviously, even if you haven't watched anything else besides Good Omens of her um, of her career, like, she would mm. kill that, you know? Right. And I think you've got a great point there, Gina, that women are not one trope or the other. And we shouldn't say, well, all women have to be strong women. Women just have to be women. Right. Like, exactly. You can always tell. I've, I love the movie um, with the Bachelor Party Girls. It's got Kristen Bridesmaids. But women don't, don't, you can tell it was written by men because women don't interact that way. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, women can be weak. Women can be vile. Women can be stupid. They can be strong. They, you know, they can be vain, just like men or people. Exactly. One of my favorite shows of recent years is uh, Orphan Black because not only does it have, you know, one actress playing 10 different roles. But they're all brilliant and unique and they're all strong, but they're all strong in their own way. They show the different kinds of strength. You've got, you know, one that's like a super evil businesswoman, one that's a crazy assassin, one that's a house, a housewife in the suburbs, but they all have like their own individual strengths. And it's amazing seeing what they do as a group for each other and for their, their surroundings. Do you like what you hear on the Nevers podcast? Care to share your opinion? If you do, then consider leaving a review for the show. Your review helps us to reach new listeners and let us know how we're doing. Go on, it only takes a minute. We mentioned it earlier that Joss does like to sort of return to the same archetypes when he writes. So what we're going to do now is try and pair up characters from what we know of the characters in the Nevers with who we think their nearest sort of Whedonverse alternates might be. We've already discovered, we've already covered the the uh, Adele DeWitt connection. But looking through the character descriptions, do you think you've seen any other pairings? I know we talked about, in our show, we talked about um, one of the girls really resembling River being crazy. 
Uh, I'm, I'm looking through trying to figure out which character it was. Maybe Mary Brighton. Not really sure. Um, that's, that's kind of the, you know, besides Frost kind of being the amped up version, as you said, of, of Badger, obviously. Um, yeah. So maybe the, maybe Manson, Malady, committed, crazy, a bedlam wave. That kind of sounds like River too. So, um, I'm, I'm hoping there are so many characters in here that I haven't seen in his work. Do you know what I mm. mean? Like some of his work tends to be, there's one really big evil guy, but there, there's subtle evil everywhere. I feel like riddled throughout these characters. Mm. So I think that'll be interesting. I think it's going to be fun seeing the sort of the shades between characters like, uh, you know, Frost's sort of should be back. You know, he's gangland sort of kingpin, but he doesn't seem particularly horrible. And then you compare that to uh O'Hare's sort of evil surgeon guy and then you've got um the uh was it Momo no Torrens who is a uh he's a British grey man yeah exactly like there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of differing kinds of evil there yeah it'd be very interesting to see what we can do with that um one for me that I've noticed is um the character that Tom Riley plays, the character's name is Augustus Aki Bidlow, a sweet, disarming nerd. To me, I mean, <laughs> how many characters of Joss's is like that? So he's probably going to be one of my favorites. Um, but it's interesting, at the end of his character description, it says he finds the touched unnerving, but is drawn to them by his increasing infatuation with Miss Adair. So that kind of reminds me a little bit of Paul Ballard and Dollhouse. It's a little, a little shade of that. Um, and then just quick side note, and then his nefarious, nefarious best friend is Hugo. So like, <laughs> if Hugo's pansexual, I could totally see Hugo having a crush on Augustus, but Augustus has a crush on Miss Adair. So oh, I yeah. hope that's like a love yeah. triangle. Just that throwing that out there. That could be super crazy. Um, <laughs> right? <laughs> also, I think, um, and I think this is a, uh, it's a red herring that they're building up O'Hare to be very Jack the Ripper-like. Mm. do you know what i mean but i can't i can't see joss being that obvious we were we were also talked about this mm. that you know they brought dracula in in season was it four yeah. or five at the beginning and they were just like yo he's gonna oh dracula's gonna be a new character nope you're done want it out <laughs> i can definitely see them kind of strongly hinting that o'hare is sort of like maybe not even Jack Ripper kind of going for like a resurrectionist, um, Burke and uh, Hare type route. Yeah, yeah, good point, good point. Like almost a Frankenstein bend to it. I mean, um, as you as everyone out there will hear when you hear the full interview, Hare briefly describes his lab, and it it sounds like a freaking nerd wet dream. It is amazing, and I like. If it's half as cool <laughs> as he described it, it's going to look beautiful when we see it on screen. Just so this- yeah, just photos and and the set decoration that we've seen too, mm. just in outtake photos. Oh my gosh! Now now I'm gonna go cry. <laughs> <laughs> the only accurate response to that. Um, another character that obviously reminds me of one is um, Devlin as Primrose Chataway, the 16 year old who's the giant, very Don-like, literally. (laughs) (laughs) Which, again, Tyke and Kelly know this. I usually play devil's advocate. I personally love Don. Sorry. Um, (laughs) So, however, maybe 
uh, this character more people will like. Maybe, even though I don't think Joss needs to learn anything from Don, but maybe things that he might have learned from Don he'll put into this character. And maybe she'll be more likable, even though I love Don. Hopefully the first thing he learns is casting a better actress. Well, ooh. <laughs> ooh. Sorry, I, I, I couldn't. Ouch! Yeah. Um, I, oh, so here's my little tiny soapbox about that. I remember people just being awful even in screenings to once more with feeling screaming shut up dawn and all this kind of stuff <sighs> every character whether i like them or not is immaterial if the part of the genius was buffy that every character fulfilled their role i felt like for the right. most part beautifully and dawn was there to be annoying you know you weren't right. supposed to love her you were supposed to be annoyed by her while buffy was trying to find this higher plane and all of a sudden she had this little sister who not only was a total brat but wasn't <laughs> even really your sister right so and and buffy's you know her destiny you know she protected her anyway and i just i feel like that was such a brilliant play on you know even though dawn's a pain in the butt she's still to buffy she was still human so you know, and her sister. So she, you know, protected her like and preach, preach it to the end. <laughs> like, you know, who doesn't can't stand their little sister when they're that age? I had a little sister. I right. wanted to strangle her. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's going to be funny when if people watch the Nevers the first season and they're like, this is the best thing ever. Let me go rewatch or let me watch for the first time any of Joss's stuff. And then they'll get to season five of Buffy and they'll be like, oh, <laughs> There I've seen is. this character in the Nevers. <laughs> if if they know what they're doing, HBO or whoever has the rights will put all of Whedon's back catalogue up to stream just when the first season of the Nevers finishes airing. So everyone watches the Nevers. They all get a sudden influx of all new Whedon fans. And they go, while you wait, why not watch his entire back catalogue? Yeah, except Fox owns it and Hulu has it. And that that They don't have the rights. So, yeah, what, Fox will capitalize on it, though, when it comes out. You watch. Moving on to Joss not being the sole director as speculated. So we now have confirmation that Joss will be sharing the director duties on the Nevers, which we always kind of figured. There was just mm. never really any official right, word. Right. Um, in documents obtained by our producer, we've learned that David Seymour will be directing at least one episode of The Nevers. Some notable shows that he's directed for include Buffy. Buffy, Angel, Heroes, American Horror Story, The Man in the High Castle, and Watchmen. What could the selection of this director mean for The Nevers? And um, before I open it up to you guys, he's he's actually directed some of my favorite episodes of Buffy and some of my favorite episodes of Angel. So he directed... Lover's Walk in season three, which I mean, ugh, right, is one of the best things of all time. Um, and he directed What's My Line Part Two in season two, also one of my favorites. Um, season two of Buffy is my favorite season, so I'm biased anyway, but <laughs> I love that episode. And then in Angel, he directed Are You Now or Have You Ever oh, Been? Yeah. <sighs> brilliant episode yeah amazing. amazing episode and that's in season two episode two and just to remind any listeners i shouldn't have to remind you but just in case it's the 1950s episode angel aids a woman hiding from her past in a hotel with a long history of death and mayhem in the present angel hunts a demon so we get a first look at that hotel and yeah so i love this director just even based on that alone i'm sure he's done other amazing work as well but 
What do you guys think about him joining? I went and yeah, looked I'm at his you. IMDb uh, and it's like 10 miles <laughs> long, man. And the thing is, is, he's got lots of, like, he hasn't seemed to have stuck around on any series for a particular long. There's lots of kind of two or three episodes here, two or three episodes there. But it seems kind of every time he lands on a show, he'll just deliver an absolute masterpiece of an episode and then vanish off into the sunset. <laughs> Go to another show. Yeah, even if he only comes <laughs> along to do kind of two or three episodes, I, like, I'm going to watch out for those episodes because they're going to be absolute killers. Because, I mean, Are You Now Have You Ever Been is one of my favourite all-time Weedonverse episodes. Anyway, the, the visuals of it are all fantastic. You know, he, he directed it brilliantly. Yeah, and I think... um to go f- as far back as season two and season three that he, he was, uh, you know, one of the many directors for those airs for Joss to be, bring him back says Joss remembers him and thinks very highly of him and how he directed his, like, Buffy was his baby. So I think that bodes yeah, well for Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Cause you know, you saw directors every once in a while come in, do one show and you never heard from him again. And then you have. He did through season two and three, but other directors like him, you know, came back and kept doing episodes. So that's exciting to me. Yeah. And, and anytime there's a new Whedonverse addition to the Nevers, it just feels great. It feels like we're getting the gang back together. It feels like a family. So that's really cool. Even if he'd never directed on Buffy and Angel, just because of his resume, I'd be excited. But So, so can I tell you all a, a tiny little kind of hope I have? Always. So... so Joss has been in the UK, obviously, right? Shooting the show. And he's, I've noticed that there's been a lot of crosstalk between him and Neil Gaiman. I know. (laughs) And I'm just going, come on. You got to have it write an episode or direct an episode or do something. I mean, I'm not saying anything and I'm I'm not, you know, but Neil did recently earn himself a little bit of ire by, like, last week flying back from. I believe Australia, where he was, New Zealand, to Scotland. So, I mean, he is now in, he's in the UK, (laughs) just in time for restrictions to relax and for the Nevers possibly to be moving towards starting filming again. So, I mean, Joss is here, Neil's here, they're working on the back half of the season. Okay. Just saying. Hmm. I would die. I would literally <laughs> run out in the street in front of a truck <laughs> in my excitement and die. <laughs> how can how can you not like Coraline is a is my chicken soup no. movie. Like whenever I'm feeling <laughs> down, I watch Coraline. I know that sounds bizarre, but I love that movie. Speaking of being ridiculously hyped for upcoming Never stuff, we recently had the amazing honor and you know out of body experience to interview emmy nominated tony award winning actor dennis o'hare who we will all be soon getting to know and more than likely loathe as dr edmund haig we managed to talk to him for about an hour and we discussed everything from his upbringing his career his personal politics and of course the nevers so because we're just that Nice. We're going to share with you a small segment of that amazing interview and our questions about the Nevers. So brace yourselves, Neverites. What you're about to hear is going to dial your excitement up <laughs> to 11. It is going to break your brain. If you, if, you, if you have any plans to go to sleep in the next three or four hours, maybe listen to this tomorrow because you are not going to be able to sleep after this. So I'll probably overhype that a little bit too much, but Without further ado, Mr. 
Dennis O'Hare. So you're living in France right now. It's just a two-hour Eurostar ride away from us here in London, where Joss Whedon is not currently, but has been recently. Hopefully you'll be resuming sooner rather than later filming on The Nevers. We'd be remiss not to mention that you've been cast as Dr. Edmund Haig in The Nevers, described as a gifted American surgeon who uses his skills in the coldest and most brutal way, but all in the name of progress, of course. Do you get a kick out of playing these sort of uber-villainous characters like Edmund Haig or, of course, Russell Edgington from True Bloods, who was fantastically evil? I do. I do. I, you know, um, they're operatic in that way. Um, mm. Joss, Joss's writing is so beautiful and so detailed and so specific and so, you know, crazy and psychotic. I adore it so much. <laughs> um, I, you know, we, I think I've shot, um, I think I shot four or five episodes, maybe four. And, um, I had, I had the best time, the best time doing it. You know, the, not only is the, the world that we're inhabiting amazing, but the physical sets that we're inhabiting are amazing. What, what we're asked to do is amazing. Um, and nothing is simple. You know, he, the, the characters all seem like they are one thing on the surface, but they all have layers and layers and layers. And I love that about, about any show is where you get to discover that. And who I thought he was in the first episode is not who he was in the second episode. You know, Dr. Edmund Haig is also a very complicated character, and I, I can't really get into that. But uh, let's let's just say there are <laughs> levels and levels and levels. <laughs> Excellent. You're making me very, very excited to hear that, because um, I have to say, I, I was a big fan of True Blood, and particularly of your character, who was one of my, um, you and Eric Northman, were my two absolute favourite characters from that show. I actually had to invent a new word for that show to describe your roles, which was grossome, which is when a scene is massively gross, but also undeniably awesome. No, I loved, I loved that character so much, Russell Edgington. And again, another one who I thought, you know, in the books, he was one thing, and I thought he was actually poorly, poorly drawn in the books. And I don't mean as a criticism; I just mean that he wasn't a valued character. And Alan Ball and the writers really knew how to run with him in a great way. And you know, that was that was a we were very close to the writers in that one, and we felt like we knew them in a way that I've never felt that in until someone like Joss, obviously, because he writes everything. But the writers in True Blood, there's a, a room of them, six or seven, and it was really amazing to. To have that relationship, I really felt this, this understanding of that relationship, and, and they, each one had a different style, and each one had a different understanding of the character. And my favorite mm. writer in that group, too, Nancy Oliver and Alex Wu. And Alex Wu was the one who, um, you know, wrote the crazy speech for the newscaster when when Russell pulled the sign out of the newscaster. Um, yes. <laughs> unbelievable stuff. I loved it so much. So how did the role in The Nevers come to you? Did your agent bring it to you? Did Joss reach out to you personally? How did you get involved in Did you have to audition for it? You know, uh, I will have to thank Olivia Williams for the part because uh -huh. Olivia and I were doing Tartuffe at the National yes. uh, in <laughs> January of 20, 2019, I guess it was. And um, Olivia, it was like, I think our first preview, we were warming up and she said, I just got you a job. And I said, what? <laughs> she, goes, she goes, no, I was talking to Joss Whedon about you. And he said, oh, my God, what a great idea. Um, what a great idea. And 
she goes, I got you a job. <laughs> I said, well, how much do I owe you? And then, you know, Nina Gold, who's the casting director, who is just one of the great casting directors of all time, um, asked me uh, to come in and meet with Joss. And I did. I had an amazing conversation with him where we talked about books and sci-fi and everything. And then it wasn't too long after that that they made the offer. But um, uh, so Olivia Williams. Yep, Olivia Williams. Yep. As if we needed more reason to love Olivia Williams. Exactly, another reason to love her. Um, the Nevis is being billed as epic sci-fi drama, which is three of my favourite words in the world put together. Some of your fellow actors on the show, Anne Skelly, Ella Smith, and particular favourite of mine, Nick Frost, have alluded to the scale of the production as being really yeah. quite large. HBO really seems to be throwing their money behind the series. Do you get a sense when you're on set of just the size and the scope of the production? Like, does it feel grand when you're on set? It does. I mean, the the actual, I, I've walked around a bunch of the sets and the sets are, you know, gorgeous, unbelievably gorgeous. It's Victorian. The the detail, I have a lab, my lab, you could just spend hours in that thing. Yes. And I actually walk around and trying to see everything, the, 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 you know, weird contraptions that buzz and saw that actually work. You can actually use them. You could hack someone's limb off. Not that I would. <laughs> um, you know, things that bubble, uh, weird enamel sinks, beautiful 19th century enamel sinks, a police state. just these amazing sets. The, the, the detail is just crazy. And then um, there's another set, which I, I can't really talk about, but it, it is, you know, it is a, it is, it is a massive um, creation on multi levels, which I get to, you know, inhabit with a real working elevator. Um, it, it's a pretty extraordinary world. They're also doing a lot of stuff outside um, with, you know, using London as a backdrop, the gorgeousness of London, and uh, and lots and lots and lots of of, of people who populate this. Um, some huge set pieces, some huge um, events that will just be phenomenal. You know, it, it really is grand. Grand is the best word. I mean, obviously, I was already quite excited for this show. Otherwise, I, I wouldn't be <laughs> working here. But just I'm talking to you and hearing about the bubbling lab and the working elevator. I'm I'm literally dying of excitement right now. You are really not helping me remain cool. This is going to be so good. Yes. <laughs> I just want to watch it right now. Um, I know we're a ways off. <laughs> in an interview with the French outlet Binge, you revealed that you get to sing in the first episode. How is that for you? We obviously know that you enjoy singing. Um, were you surprised to find out that your character would be singing? I love that the character was singing. I, I just loved it. I was so happy for that. Um, I, you know, Joss actually, I think, saw me in Assassins um, back in 2004 so he already knew that I could sing. And um, I think that's bubbling in his mind. The funny thing about that was that uh, he gave me the words and then he said, just come up with something. And I was like, okay, great. And so I listened to a lot of sort of, you know, ditties and Victorian things. And he said, it should be like a sea shanty. And I said, I'd love to come up with it. So I actually came up with the tune, um, yes. which I think, I think then they cross-checked to make sure that it wasn't, uh, you know, in the public domain. <laughs> it wasn't, I wasn't ripping somebody off unconsciously. And then I get to set and he's changed the words and, you know, my, my tune didn't quite fit anymore. And so there was a little bit of that, ah, last minute running around. Um, <laughs> but I, I love that I got to sing. I just, I adored it. It made me very, very, very happy. Yeah. He's the man. I oh, cannot wait great. to hear the whole thing. 
how great was that? Like, there's just some amazing... Here's, like, obviously, there's a lot more to come, but here are some of the, the bullet points, the exciting moments. Olivia Williams was the one that recommended Dennis for his role in The Nevers. The characters are multi-layered. Who Dennis thought his character was in the first episode is not who he was in the second. The physical sets are huge, amazing, and incredibly detailed. As I mentioned before, his character has a freaking lab with actual <laughs> lab equipment and bubbly things and a freaking elevator, a working, like, I'm not even, I, I mean, I'm no techno person. I don't know what the word is there, but was, were there elevators in the Victorian era? I'm pretty sure there weren't. So we've seen cars and elevators, both things which didn't exist at that time. I think it was close because they, I mean, if it wasn't possible that they were getting close because like the Stanley and some other historic hotels that I've been to have uh, that yeah. that brass kind of birdcage hand crank elevator. Ah, uh, yeah. Not only does he get to sing, he gets to sing a sea shanty, the best kind of song. <laughs> and when asked to sum the nevers up in one word, his choice was grand. That's a great word to use. So, yeah. I'm sorry. Like, if I see this, like, evil kind of doctor singing i mean what how cool <laughs> is that a sea chanty too like what oh, right? he was quite like, cagey about that. the details of the scene but i don't know i just had this image of him standing there singing slightly discordantly this very upbeat kind of yo ho ho in a barrel of rum sea chanty as he's just hacking away at a corpse Yes. Like, he's, well, you, we know he's going to be singing something upbeat and he's going to be doing something horrible because <laughs> that's Joss and that's what we he does. We also talked about if you look at the casting on the first show in IMDb, there's um, a, a theater component to how the casting looks. So we uh, we wonder if it's going to open on an opera or a musical or something like that. I believe there is a scene of an opera in the first episode. We don't know, like, exactly, but we know that, uh, we know that it, uh, Satan is involved, because Satan is right. in the cast list for the right, first right, episode. Right. But that's stage Satan, not actual Satan. Sure, we would talked about it being, like, Faust or something like that, so. That does make sense. Oh, which then, of course, like, the, the redemption of Dr. Faustus brings in ideas of, kind of, <laughs> are, are the Nevers themselves making devil's bargains? Like, is it sort of like, um... Puella Magi Madoka Magica, where even if it was unbeknownst to them, if at some point the Touched had kind of made a wish to the universe that had been granted and that had given them their powers. Ooh. I need to think about this more. Is season two potentially already in the works? We've speculated that Joss might be writing the script for the Tan Fantastic Four, but maybe the script he's working on is season two for the Nevers. As we all know, premium shows and networks write all their episodes ahead of time and then go off and film those episodes for the season. With the downtime, though, that all of Hollywood has found themselves in the midst of COVID-19 pandemic, is it possible that Joss is taking this time to get to work on the next season? And if not the second season, then maybe he is indeed writing a script for the Fantastic Four. Either way, I'm all about either option. Um, I could definitely see... I could see Joss a working on the rest of the season of The Nevers, just making sure everything is great. But I could also see him potentially just thinking of ideas for season two. Because I feel like he'd want a writer's room to get different perspectives and see if different 
different things than he thinks of could happen for season two. But I could definitely see him already laying some groundwork. Yeah, very much so. I wouldn't be surprised if he... I, I don't think he's going to be writing any actual scripts. But I would. it would totally be kind of in character for him to be, like, sketching out the season arc. Just getting the bits in place, you know, working out who his big bad is when they're revealed. And then waiting for once it's all over, bring it to the room and have them all kind of work their magic with it. Exactly. I I think we all know that Joss is a long arc writer. He arcs out Mm. for two to three seasons ahead of time and then probably has a bigger overall you know, view in his mind of how things like he said that he knew how Buffy was going to end at the beginning. So, um, H HBO historically and game of Thrones is an exception. Usually runs about five seasons on their big premiere dramas. Um, I've never seen one get canceled after one season. So there, I assume there will definitely be a season two. I, I know Rome got it after season three when they didn't have the viewership they wanted. So, I hope he's actually writing X-Men or Nova or another movie. Like, I hope he's doing that. Because I think Nevers probably is all, season two is probably already greenlit. I'm, I'm pretty sure they've, because they've got five-year contracts. So I wouldn't be surprised if they're picked up for at least season two and three. And that's a good point. And I feel like since he's been so in the Nevers world with them filming recently, he probably wants to just have his brain focus on something else. Because that kind of helps when you're working on something, is just to kind of be preoccupied. So I feel like a superhero script would be great. Or it could be something else. Like something totally unrelated, which would also just be amazing. If we're going to be sharing our wild theories, we might as well bring it back around to topic. So we know the characters. We know the settings. We are very familiar with the, the god in charge. Do we have any bubbling, fermenting ideas of what may possibly happen in the show itself? I have one theory that I would like to share with you now, and it kind of touches on something that you mentioned earlier, Heather. So far, we know Amalia True is the lead, and that's basically it. After that, we have nothing. So it's quite clear that her power is going to be something kind of big that's like kicks it's going to be the sort of the inciting event that starts the season my theory i've mentioned it before and i just want to kind of double down now so it's in more than one place if it happens they'll know it was me i think her power is she's going to be she's not going to have a power herself what she's going to be is she's going to be a power amplifier for the other characters so when she's near one of the touched their powers become stronger so if you've got uh rochelle neal's bonfire character she can kind of produce like a sort of beach ball sized flame on her own but when she's next to the sort of the lead when she's next to not penance amalia she can shoot like freaking dragon fire out or uh, desiree who can make the people in her sort of in close proximity tell the truth if when she's with amalia suddenly everyone in like the city has to tell the truth because not only is that just a really fun power to work with but it immediately makes her priority number one for every dastardly person in this like suddenly every bad guy in the city absolutely needs her because then their powers are amplified a thousandfold it makes her the core of the series without making her so op that everything else becomes kind of throwaway and a bit bland very very well 
well thought out. I've been planning Very that one for a while. Very imaginative take. Heather, do you have any theories? I do and don't. I don't have a theory for where the show is going on a big scale, but I'd have a theory that uh, about how the relationships kind of work because of being so familiar with Joss's universes, right? The Whedonverse. Um, so you have the group, you know, the sorority of the touched, right? That are in an orphanage and Lavinia Bidlow is the, you know, the mother hen, the, you know, the barn boss kind of. Um, and I don't even know if they'll all show up at the same time. I feel like some of them will be there and some of them won't. Um, I almost feel like maybe Amalia gets rescued by one of them and pulled into their world. Like she wasn't there before. I don't know. Um, but then they, they're doing stuff that catches the attention of the crown and, you know, the gray men, which in turn gets Ben Chaplin involved in the police trying to figure out what's going on. Meanwhile, the beggar King is wheeling and dealing and making deals. Um, who also catches the attention of the detective. And then you've got Odium Purball, who we don't know what he's doing. I think Dennis O'Hare is probably part, part of the, the crown as their surgeon or something, but that would be a little bit Jack the Ripperish. So I'm not sure, but I, I think it's all going to be much like Joss tends to be very puzzle pieces at the beginning. And then it all kind of, you know, the fifth or sixth episode just, <laughs> comes together and it like blows your brain out of your head. But I mean, that's really just me trying to do detective work on how the relationships, everybody's connected. That's an excellent point. I can very much see. I remember when we did, I think it was the second cast cast, we noticed there was definitely three, at least three kind of distinct pools of characters. That was kind of the the upper class as the surgeon, the um, Navy officer who's now a peer, and then the successful physician. Then there's kind of the orphanage and their crew. And then there's kind of the, the underside people, the Beggar King, Bonfire, and yeah. um, Desiree Blodgett. So I wouldn't be surprised if it started off with kind of three, maybe four mini arcs. Right. That then in typical Joss fashion, kind of all somehow managed to blend themselves together by the big conclusion. This is so cool to me because it almost sounds like we've seen the first episode and we're already <laughs> just thinking about the rest of the season, but we yeah. haven't even seen anything. But that's how good uh, these character descriptions are. Yeah. Well, and that was the thing that was so dis- disappointing about STCC and you getting to go was that, you know, we were, Matt and I were talking, uh, the producer Matt behind the scenes, like, they're definitely going to Comic Con and they're definitely going to roll out the red carpet and then we're going to see a teaser and a trailer of the cast, blah, blah, blah. So. Um, a, a power that I love that I didn't really mention, so it's not really a theory, but just a power that I absolutely am crazy about is Mary Brighton. So gentle but surprisingly resilient, Mary pursued her dream of singing on stage. A disappointing career and a broken engagement haven't diminished her spirit. She's going to be great. She's going to be very surprised how. So good. But um, as a singer, <laughs> Tyke and I have talked about this, like, I think it'd be kind of cool if her superpower was like something to do with singing or something. <laughs> like, that would be amazing. That is such a right? great idea. That would be amazing. Right? Didn't we, we spoke about this before, and the idea we all came to, which I thought was awesome, was what if she was kind of like a siren, where she oh. sings, and when she sings, that makes people do what she sings them to do? That would tie into the theater thing, too, and the singing, and the, Ooh. oh my god, oh my god! So good. 
that reminded me of another one. I think if you look at the characters and the descriptors, not necessarily the character, but also kind of the characters of the, the relations of the characters, there's a lot of stuff about Void. There's the lady that can sing and has magical singing powers. There's the girl that talks possible gobbledygook. Uh, Desiree's son never talks. And there's uh. definitely, there is definitely a kind of a vocal aspect to the touched yeah like are they yeah. taking voices from people and giving them to others like there's there's gonna be something involving speech in the show yeah that, that theory is not quite as well panned out as the power amplifier one but well, the bones are there adding to that i've noticed that there are some powers they've explored and other people they're not saying like they're holding their mm. cards on whether they have powers or not or what they are i'm still really hoping that uh well, initially, I was hoping that um, Edmund Haig was going to have, like, life-giving powers. He's like a magic surgeon that can heal anyone. But then I thought, eh, like, maybe like, it seems a little too kind of... But he could. Not, not he could if it cliche. was more like Full Metal Alchemist, where there was a price. Oh. Ooh. I'm always happy to get a bit <laughs> of FMA in there. It's one of my all-time favorite series. Yes. Yeah. I mean- Please. This brings me actually to the last point I wanted to make about theories. So one of my favorite tropes of anything of all time, and it's Joss Whedon's fault. (laughs) Okay, maybe Dragon Ball Z's fault. Where a villain kind of gets into the main hero's group, not in like a permanent way, but just in like, I'm a villain and I hate you. But then towards the end of the season, now I maybe I like you guys. So I would personally love one of the villains to do that. Um, whether that be Lord Mason, the the former general, or or I mean, heck, Doctor Edmund Haig. Like, <laughs> what if he starts off evil and then at the end he actually becomes a surgeon that could help them? Maybe. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm hundred percent with you on that. The, the whole kind of frenemies thing. Yes. It's always, yes. always a great character arc. And while I think uh, Lord Masson is going to be like the ongoing recurring villain, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if Edmund Haig did become kind of think early, not quite season two super evil Spike, but like first return kind of heartbroken Spike, that kind yeah. of level. Like he's not quite a good guy. This is description. He's he's kind of a semi evil surgeon, but like he's he's not a mass murderer. He's not just doing this stuff for no reason. He's doing it because he's trying to kind of sure. it's, it's for the, like the pursuit of knowledge and the pursuit of improving his surgical skills. So uh, there's definitely a room for a redemption arc there that I think would be a lot of fun and gives us more Dennis O'Hare. So I'm exactly. all for that. Well, and I think we <laughs> talked about this on one of the la- last shows I was on with you and Kelly. That how interested Joss is in transformation. Mm. Um, sometimes it leads to redemption. Sometimes it goes the other way. But it, if you look at some of his most important characters, especially in Buffy, because we had the time to see it, mm. watch how they transition over there, who they become. Like, doesn't, not everybody, but certainly Spike, certainly Buffy herself. Uh, 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 in the case of someone going downhill, certainly Riley. You know, uh, Cordelia. Ah. Yeah. Yep. Love Cordelia. <laughs> Wesley. Wesley. God, yes. the best transformation ever. Right. Maybe. Right. Like him and Spike. Like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're even to me. There, there's literally a tweet the other day that someone was like, what are your favorite character transformations of TV shows? And instantly I was like, Wesley from Angel. Like, yeah. I'm sorry that, that to me, that beats everything. Like, absolutely. 
So this kind of brings us to our last topic before our listeners submitted letters. What are we personally most excited for? Like what what category? And this is really hard because I'm excited for everything. But are you guys excited? Narrow it down <laughs> for to one. The characters. <laughs> yeah, narrow it down to one. Are you guys excited for the characters, the stories, the superpowers, the music, God, the production design, the writers? Like what? What if you had to pick one? Um, oddly enough, uh, I'm excited for all that. We all are. I'm excited for Doug Petrie for a particular reason because him and drew goddard to me besides josh were my favorite writers from the weed inverse and in their own projects and they bring a very they come from the school of joss you can tell but they have their own viewpoint and i you know jane espenson i'm just i guess the writers the friggin' writers <laughs> <laughs> I've got to say, um, like the thing that's getting me most excited for this show, other than that freaking interview, is there are very few writers. Like it's become slightly more popular now, but I think that is just because of Buffy and his work with the sort of early Weedonverse shows. But there are very, very few writers that can do long form story arcs like Joss Whedon. He's just one of the best ongoing dramatic writers that we've ever had working in television. And knowing that this time, not only does he have the scope to write what he wants, but he's also got, for once, a network that actually supports him and isn't going to just can him after one freaking season. Or mess or mess with his formula, right? Exactly. Or mess with his formula. Like he's literally been given an endless bag of money and a huge playground to play in and been told, come up with something amazing. And... I mean, I literally can't think of anything that can excite me more than a f- Joss Whedon with free reign and a fat sack of cash. Yeah, I mean, the writers, <laughs> like Heather and Tyke, have said. Um, there's also a lot of up-and-coming and diverse writers in the writer's room. Mm-hmm. And that is like... I mean, Joss has always had that in all of his writer's rooms, but like, it's really cool. There's there's women of color. There's women of color that have only written plays um, Lori Penny yeah, Lori is Penny. a huge, huge feminist, usually writes books. Um, there's these two Asian writers. I think one of them won this really prestigious screenwriting competition called Nickel that my sister and I have been in the top 54. Short little really? plug there. Nice. Um, but, but obviously she's amazing. <laughs> and then um, Kevin Lau, I believe, is also... Kevin um, Lau is amazing. Yeah, he's also, uh, I believe, a producer as well. So it's just yes. like, oh. it's just really cool to see those diverse voices. Um, a lot of modern t- writers' rooms are trying to get people that haven't written TV, which is really interesting. And I- I'm just glad Joss did that. So you get completely different perspectives and point of views because the showrunner could teach someone how to outline an episode, but he can't teach them their voice and all these people obviously have voices. So I just can't wait to see how that goes with like John and Jane. Uh, wow. John, Joss and Jane Spencing and Doug Petrie, just combining those two things. It's just, it's kind of a, a perfect storm of like amazing writing, amazing directors, amazing concept, amazing budget. It almost seems too good to be true. I'm kind of just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Tie it. COVID was the shoe. 
True. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now we I are going to wait longer. Okay, I, did, I believe that wraps up our topics for the evening. So now it's time to check in with all of you as we open up the Nevers mailbox. If you have a question, comment, delightful anecdote, anything Whedon related for us, tweet it to us at the Nevers Podcast. The Nevers P O D C S T, or send us an email at the Nevers Podcast at gmail.com, and we'll be sure to read it in an upcoming episode. First off, hey, it's John from Melbourne. Hey, John. I just want to say that these past few episodes of yours are exactly what I've needed. With everything going on at the moment, it's really hard to escape what's happening as everyone seems to be talking about it. I know it's important because it's real life, but sometimes you just need some escapism and to have something to take your mind off it. Even if it's just for an hour or so, which I've been finding hard to do with other podcasts. You guys have touched on it slightly, but then you've moved on to business, which I've loved. Thanks for doing that, because it's a strange time we're going through, and we still need to be able to escape for a short while, and that's what you have provided. There's a reason why you're my favourite podcast, and this just adds bonus points. With everything shutting down, is HBO going to push back the premiere date for The Nevers, or do you think they've already filmed enough episodes to make their 2021 date? First things first, good day, John, from Hope Everything's Gone in Melbourne. I know Oz have handled this situation a lot better than most, so I hope you and all yours are safe. Secondly, Thank you so much for saying we're your favourite podcast. It's always good to hear great feedback from our listeners. Moving on to the slightly more serious... I know we've, we've slightly dwelled on COVID a little more this episode than we usually do, which <laughs> sort of goes against your whole thing of, you just go over, it's fine. But <laughs> we, we did actually, when, when everything kind of kicked off and it all looked a bit grim, we did have to kind of seriously consider if it was in good taste to keep making the podcast. But what we thought is that during this time, it's fairly tumultuous. What the world needs is a distraction. You know, we, we're not frontline workers. We can't be out there healing and saving people. What we can do is make sure that when they come home exhausted at the end of a day of being fricking heroes, if we can do even a t- if we can give them 45 minutes where they can just switch off and relax and feel happy, you know, that if that's, if we can give that to them, how can we not do that? So, you know, thank you to everyone out there that's saving us. And if we make it, better for you we are you know we are very proud to have done that as for everything shutting down and pushing back the premiere date i would hope not i mean judging by what dennis o'hare said they've got possibly four maybe even five episodes recorded we don't know when in 2021 they're going to be releasing but i think they will come out sometime in 2021 this may have pushed it back from q2 to q3 but I don't, I don't think they'll miss their 2021 release date, but they may not be as early in 2021 as we had first hoped. And I've just said 2021 far too many times. So I will now hand over <laughs> to the others. Like, do you, do you think they'll make the 2020, 2021 date? Um, yes. Only because if they had not filmed anything, I'd be a little skeptical, but hopefully they've filmed enough. Um, the only thing that gets me is obviously there's going to be special effects. So I, I feel like the post-production is what's going to take a while. Yeah, maybe Q4. Uh, but do you think the special effects could, that they could be kind of getting a head start on the special effects now while everyone's locked down? And also, do you think there's a possibility for a split season where we maybe receive the first four or five episodes Ooh. in kind of early, mid 
2021 and then get the second half later on because one of the benefits to being on HBO Max is that you don't need to stick to traditional release schedules. Do you think there's a chance for that? Maybe. I mean, it, it's yeah, it's not their style, but HBO's style, but yeah. I mean, I can't imagine what their schedule is going through now. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I know. With everything shut down. Well, like, But yeah, great, great question, John, from Melbourne. Our second letter from the Nevers mailbox. Hi, the Nevers. This is Steven Song. Awesome name. I follow you on Twitter and Instagram. I like how you started this platform before the show launched its official site. Shows that it shows that there are dedicated fans behind Joss Whedon. Hope you're all staying healthy from COVID-19. I am just reaching out to people during the crisis. Enjoy the work from home if that is the case. Best, Stephen. Thank you, Stephen. It, it's nice to it's nice to hear from our fans. Thank you for following us on Twitter and Instagram. You rock. And yeah, I hope you're staying healthy as well. And thanks so much for the support because we we definitely need it. And, and it helps us, you know, stay reinvigorated to do this awesome podcast. Not that we needed any reason anyway. But we appreciate the support. And yeah, it, it's really cool. Matthew, our producer, he did start this um, before the Nevers was hardly had any news. Obviously, all us Joss fans knew that it was happening. But it's cool that Matthew took the initiative, created a website, created a Twitter and Facebook page and podcast. And yeah, he, he's awesome. He, he gets a lot of our interviews. He outlines our episodes. He's amazing he's our secret weapon we would be absolutely yes. screwed without him <laughs> yes guy i cannot imagine yeah our third letter was hi nevers family i'm a huge joss whedon fan one will be hard to find a bigger one than me i have his name tattooed on my forearm and a tattoo of the buffy logo on my bicep i was really happy when i stumbled upon your podcast last month and i gotta say i'm quickly becoming a fan i love your content both on the podcast and what you do with your website. Keep up the good work. I have one question for you. Who or what do you think is going to be the big bad in the Nevers? And do you think it'll be played out over the entire series? Or will each season have its own, who the touched will do battle with, and ultimately defeat in the final episode of the season, a la Buffy? Come on with those theories. I want to hear them all. Keep up the great work. Marzio, a Peruvian in England. That's a great freaking question. I was gonna, I was going to uh, query your claim that you are the biggest Joss Whedon fan, but two tattoos, fair play. I think, I think you've got us beaten there. But yeah, as for your question, I would quite like to see both. Lord Masson, being a, a kind of navy guy, former admiral, now a peer, I'd quite like him to be the kind of low key bubbling under the surface villain not doing anything overtly villainous to start with but just kind of like the spider on the web operating everything from behind the scenes like that's always a really fun character to write and i'd love to see what joss would be able to do with a character like that kind of varis or um raymond reddington from the blacklist kind of operating everything from behind the scenes but then individually each season you'd have kind of maybe edmund haig or uh someone we don't know yet freaking dracula just crop up to be <laughs> a figurehead we have to defeat because what i did love buffy having kind of arc villains i did really like that in angel you had wolfram and hart who were this ongoing villainous thread throughout the whole show and i would quite like to see him try something like that again possibly with Lord Masson or just the entirety of the British government, who 
have done some pretty villainous stuff over the years. What about you guys? Yeah, yeah I love that, Tyke. Um, I love all the hints that Joss gives along the way. When you rewatch all his shows, you're like, oh, I should have seen that coming, but he wrote it so brilliantly I didn't. Um, so I would love if we got a hint of a big bad in the second season, already in season one, as Joss does so well. Uh, one of my favorites is the mayor in season two of Buffy towards the end. They like mention the mayor and oh, so good. Um, <laughs> so I love when characters die, but I hate it <laughs> for many reasons. But one of them is sometimes it's the lazy way out. Sometimes writers can't think of anything else to do with characters. So like, I'm cool if bad guys never die. Um, I love seeing um, the long trajectory of someone's relationship, like Wolfram and Hart and Angel. Um, Lindsay and Angel are great. Love them. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't necessarily need any villains, like big bads to die. Maybe like smaller villains. Yeah, I, I, I'd say a combo of Buffy and Angel's villains, how they handle villains. Yeah, I think um, in Joss's stuff, there's always the bigger big bad. There's always... You've got you've got the pedestrian bad, right? You always have the monster of the week or something like that. But there's always, you know, the just in Firefly and Angel and Buffy alone, and of course Dollhouse. There was all there was institutional bad, like you know, like the deep state. Everybody keeps talking about. So, <laughs> and you don't know who that is probably sometimes until you get way in. So. I mean, I think the first season, to to uh, to this listener's point, will be very much um, hinting, like Gina says, about there being a larger structure, but us not really knowing who's running it, who's, you know, working for it, who's interested in working against it, but not necessarily working with the touched, kind of like the Beggar King. So it's all going to be, I, I feel like this show will be super political. Lots of metaphor. I hope so. I've got to say, one of my favorite kind of plot devices that I would really quite enjoy is when you have the big bad, you know, things sort of like the, like the mask on one, like, oh, yeah, they're, they're so evil. They're, they're the king. We, how can we defeat them? And then you go through the season and eventually you beat them and they fall. And then, yes, we defeated the evil. And there's a little post credit scene where you just see that person kind of limping along, like, oh, I'm sorry, master. I couldn't beat them. <laughs> like, oh, they were a minion all along. We thought they were the big bad, but they were just a mid boss. Right. That's all. That's always good drama. I, I would definitely that. have something like that thrown in. Okay. Yeah. Thank you very much for that question, Martio. That was a lot of fun, and I really can't wait to find out just how wrong all our theories have been. Yes, <laughs> we're all going to be out to sea on everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Going, you know, revising back to uh, point I, the thing I'm most looking forward to is just being absolutely surprised and confused when all our amazing theories turn out to be 1000% wrong and Josh just gives us something surprising and amazing and just like that we never ever could have predicted so yeah I believe that's us done for the evening was a lot of fun diving deep back into the nevers with you both do you have any uh, final thoughts you'd like to put out now before we close everything down for the evening um yeah i've always been excited for the nevers i've always wanted joss to do another tv show as all of us have um every time new news comes out i've been more and more excited but i definitely think after that dennis o'hare interview 
I'm 10,000 times more excited. And then it was, and then even going through all of this again, I'm 10,000 times more excited again. So those are my closing thoughts. <laughs> uh, so many. Um, I, I just wanted to, I, I just want to say, and I've said it on our show that I had since Buffy, I've been like, Joss needs to go to HBO. That is my dream. They will give him, they will recognize his genius. And this is before the Avengers and everything. And they will give him his platform that he needs and the leeway he needs to make the show and probably hyping myself completely out. But he had a lot of, um, interference, not so much on Buffy as he did on the other shows that he was doing. But I feel like with, with, with the checkering off for the language, for the, for the TV censors, for, for his actual way of doing things and his ideas, this could be the most epic show ever. And I'm so excited. Like I, I, when, when I've talked to you guys now for, for a while and we've rehashed all this stuff, I'm like, I don't know if I'll make it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> I want it now, <laughs> Daddy. Like the phrase gets thrown around a lot, quite often by myself. But I do have a feeling like this show could be Whedon's magnum opus. And given God, the quality of his so. work leading up to this, like that should tell you uh, how amazing this show is going to be. I just can't wait for it to be like bigger than Game of Thrones meets Breaking Bad, and then us just be like. We've been telling you this for 20 freaking years. Thanks for catching up to us in the 90s. But thank you so much for joining us this evening, Heather. As always, you were an absolute pleasure to talk to. You've mentioned it briefly, but do you want to just fill us in on your podcast and what you've been up to? So um, I have two podcasts. The one I wanted to plug is the podcast, Never's Podcast That Is Not This Podcast. Um, we, uh, only have six episodes out. We, we're taking a little bit of a hiatus right now, actually, but we'll be back at it, hopefully, um, when we straighten our schedules out. We are the neverscast.com, um, on, for our website. We're on Apple. We're on Google Podcasts. We're on Spotify, YouTube. Um, or you can email us at info at neverscast.com. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Remember to hit that bell and subscribe. For more Nevers-related content, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at HBO The Nevers. The website is hbothenevers.com, and you can comment or question at theneverspodcast at gmail.com. Gina, thanks for coming along again today. Would you like to do your shout-outs now? Yes. Um, feel free to follow me on Twitter, Gina Gemini, G-E-M-E-N-I. And I'm also that on Instagram as well. Yeah. And on my Twitter bio, I never say this, but I link to my sister and I's YouTube channel for our music. So Ooh. feel free to watch anything. We might have some Joss Whedon-y Buffy things on there. So nice. That's my evening sorted. <laughs> as always, I have been Tyke and I do not have social media because I'm secretly talking to you now from the Victorian era. So... <laughs> 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 I have been Tyke. <laughs> this has been the Deep Dive, and this is the Nevers Podcast. Okay.
That was really long. <laughs> yeah, that one that one went a bit. Sorry, Matt. You're gonna uh, Sorry, hell of a Matt. job editing this. You can't add me to your podcast. I make them an hour longer. <laughs> this episode of the Nevers Podcast was written, researched, produced, and edited by Matthew Yamanashi at Culture Inject Studios. The intro and outro music was produced by Gilirme Morais. We are more than just a podcast. We're a fan community. You can keep up to date on The Nevers and chat with other fans by visiting hbothenevers.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search HBO The Nevers, all one word, and click that follow button. The Nevers podcast is not endorsed by Mutant Enemy. Warner Media Entertainment or any of its subsidiaries, including Home Box Office, HBO, and is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. The Nevers and all names, pictures, and audio clips are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their respective copyright holders. They're coming. Are you ready? Do you have any uh, final thoughts you'd like to put out now before we close everything down for the evening? Tyke is one of the oh, funniest Ty. people you'll ever see. <laughs> no one is seeing this. Day- Are they having the Daytona 500 out there? <laughs>